So I started to walk into the water. I won't lie to you, boys. I was terrified. But I pressed on. And as I made my way past the breakers, a strange calm came over me. I, I don't know if it was divine intervention or the kinship of all living things, but I tell you, Jerry, at that moment, I was a marine biologist. George, I've just been reading this thing in the paper. It's unbelievable. I know. I was just telling the story. Well, come on, George. Finish the story. The sea was angry that day, my friends. <laughs> like an old man trying to send back soup in a deli. got about 50 feet out, and suddenly, the great beast appeared before me. I tell you, he was 10 stories high if he was a foot. As if sensing my presence, he let out a great bellow. I said, easy, big fella. And then, as I watched him struggling, I realized that something was obstructing its breathing. From where I was standing, I could see directly into the eye of the great fish. Mammal. Whatever. What did you do next? Well, then, from out of nowhere, a huge tidal wave lifted me, tossed me like a cork, and I found myself right on top of him, face to face with the blowhole. I, I, I could barely see from the waves crashing down upon me, but I knew something was there. So I reached my hand in, felt around, and pulled out the obstruction. Yes, Jerry, they were all over me. It was like Rocky won. <laughs> Diane came up to me, threw her arms around me, kissed me. We both had tears streaming down our faces. I never saw anyone so beautiful. It was at that moment that I decided to tell her that I was not a marine biologist. Wow. What'd she say? Told me to go to hell, and I took the bus home. <laughs> All right, let's go. But you know what? I thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the mysterious just made depressed, all right? Hard to reach. I mean, I'm dying here. I don't like going out. You know that I get anxiety when I have to meet people. You know how hard that is. Everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas Jesus, but if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups I've ever met in my entire life. Hello everyone and welcome once again to Give Us a Second, a minisode series brought to you by The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is our 44th Give Us a Second we're talking about our favorite episodes of Seinfeld Volume 1. Now, this is not a listener quest, but I will say a listener a few years ago did kind of offhand request that we do Seinfeld, which 
We both love the show. Yeah. My life, I feel like, is almost a replica of George Costanza. That's true. And super happy to be taking on the material. But it is tough, as we've talked about before, to do our show on comedy. Yeah, so this is going to be a a learn-as-we-go type situation. We are planning on doing a couple of these over the next few months. We'll see how many we actually do. That's why it's called Volume 1. And this is something that has been a long time coming. We started talking about this months ago. We decided to wait until Seinfeld popped back up on streaming because it went off of Hulu back in like June. It took all the way till October for it to show up on Netflix. And then, of course, we're in the middle of Greatest October, so we pushed it back once again till November. So here we are finally doing it. You can watch Seinfeld on Netflix. We are discussing six episodes these are not necessarily in any kind of or order we picked like 24 or 30 episodes we picked like a whole giant list of them and then we randomly pick six right they're not in any order other than we're starting from the earliest one of those six they're if probably... we skip over episodes don't worry yeah yeah there's no order going right on, right in other words we don't actually, worry about it we probably could have been more strategic about it no you know? there's no reason we just pick six yeah yeah no i'm happy that we're not more strategic about it but the, there may have been things where we could have tied episodes together more seamlessly i would say we have reinvented podcasting for the modern age That's we're on true. fire right now coming off of a great greatest october that's right people still buzzing about the carry episode yeah i'm still buzzing about absolutely. it absolutely and so yeah we'll be back on schedule probably next week with normal episodes we wanted to throw in a special treat we'll kick off this series we're gonna dive right into it here in a second follow the show on twitter at greatest pod subscribe on apple podcasts or podbean or whatever if you'd like a sticker or have a listener request let us know on twitter you can slide into the old dms that's right Maybe check us out on OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which we are launching shortly. If you'd like to see nudes of us, two sexy dudes. That's right. Wearing <laughs> panties that our mothers laid out for us. <laughs> exactly. I love Seinfeld. I watched, I believe, the last two seasons as they aired on NBC because my parents were super into it. Yeah. By that point, it had already been in syndication, so I was watching it every day. It's kind of wild that so many wholesome folk <laughs> were so in on this show, because it's certainly a, a darker, more cynical material. Our heroes are not necessarily people that are always easy to root for. Well, that's the thing that I was wondering whether there was going to be any big backlash when it came to Netflix, because I'm assuming people are watching it for the first time, some people... And I have seen a little bit of it, although it hasn't led to some big thing well, or anything yet. Well, there's definitely some stuff with George in the early days where he seems to not be the biggest fan of gay people. Well, there's things that go on throughout the whole show. Yeah. Almost every episode, there's something that by today's standards seems... Definitely, definitely. And they backed off the, the George homophobic angle like pretty quickly. Yeah. There's like racial stuff. There's... Oh, yeah. Misogynist stuff. But, like, at the end of the day, the characters are sociopaths. Yeah. Which would never fly now because now comedies, everyone has to be, like, wholesome and right. it's super annoying and everyone hugs and 
Okay. Let's get into it. I'm glad that so far there hasn't been some giant backlash, although I have seen people point out the obvious about like, oh, what what is it these characters? It's not really likable or they have no empathy. And it's like, yeah, because they're funny. <laughs> this was a time when things could just be funny without any conscience or yeah. anything. Which I feel like that's what people would say about our show. It's <laughs> what's with these... minus the funny. Right. What's with these hosts? Yeah, they have no empathy. Right. They're sociopaths. <laughs> Instead of it being funny, though, we're just douchebags. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about perhaps one of the definitive episodes of the show because this is the episode that started the whole a show about nothing talking point I think or really best exemplified it in the early days of the program and would later be referenced within the show itself in a meta way later when they were pitching episodes of their fake show within a show. Yeah, which is... And the NBC execs hated it, which the NBC execs hated this one in real life, right. and that would be The Chinese Restaurant. Yeah. Season 2, episode 11. It was actually originally supposed to be earlier in the season, and NBC delayed it because they were so distraught over the format of the show. I don't see any way we can eat and make this movie. Oh, well, I have to eat. Well, let's just order it to go. We'll eat it in the cab. Eat it in the cab? Chinese food in a cab? We'll eat it in the movie. What? Where do you think you're going? Do you think that they have big picnic tables there? (laughs) Well, what do you suggest? I say we leave now, we go to Sky Burger, and we scarf them down. I'm not going to Sky Burger. Besides, it's in the opposite direction. Let's just eat popcorn or something. All right. I can't have popcorn for dinner. Hot dog. We have to eat. So they have hot dogs there. Oh, movie hot dogs. I'd rather lick the food off the floor. I can't go anyway. I have to wait here for Tatiana's call. Let me just check. Excuse me, I- I'm expecting a call. Costanza? Yes, I just got a call. Uh, I yell, Cartwright, Cartwright, just like that. Nobody came up, I hang up. Was it for Costanza or? Yes, yes, that's it. Nobody answered. (laughs) Was it a woman? Yes, yes. I tell her, you're not here. She said curse word, I hang up. (laughs) She called. He yelled Cartwright. I missed her. Who's Cartwright? I'm Cartwright. You're not Cartwright. Of course I'm not Cartwright! It was written by Jerry Seinfeld, Larry David, and Larry Charles. It's in real time on one set. It's a bottle episode, and NBC hated it. Kramer does not appear in it, which is one of the, I think, two episodes that he doesn't appear in. Because at that point, they had written this so early on in the show that they were still going with the idea that Kramer never left the building. I see. Which is something that Jerry mentions, I think, in season one. And then they quickly abandon it, but that's how early on they wrote this one, where they were still thinking, like, well, he wouldn't be here because he doesn't leave the building. But this is a season two episode. Yeah. It was the 16th episode overall, though. Yeah, yeah. So... (laughs) For most shows, that's still season one. Right. There's been several attempts in my life to do like a real plow through Seinfeld and, and watch it over I did one this year. Time. I've never been able to successfully do that. I've I, done it twice like in the last few years. <laughs> so many episodes. 
I love this episode. My parents loved it. I think that's why I got into it because it's so unique and different from what shows we're doing. There's no real story other than they're just waiting for a table at a Chinese restaurant. And it all takes place in the restaurant, but mostly just in that lobby. I don't know what you would call that foyer. (laughs) Yeah. Waiting area of the restaurant. restaurant lounge. Yeah. George is waiting to make a phone call. The space to wait to get a table is kind of shockingly big. Yeah. Jerry recognizes a woman, but he doesn't know from where. And Elaine is super hungry. And that's basically the whole story. And they're waiting to see Plan 9 from outer space that night. Elaine's just disdain for everyone that's getting a table. I was vibing with that. Jerry mentions having a sister, which is never mentioned again in the show. There's a lot of interesting stuff with bets and bribes and money, and George famously does his we're living in a society. Right. (laughs) Because he's basically throwing a tantrum because he doesn't get to use the phone. Often quoted by me, you, probably (laughs) several others out there. Joker. (laughs) Yeah. It's also coordinated. The little socks match the little shirt. I really hate this guy. George, your phone's free. Hallelujah. Excuse me, I, I was waiting here. Where? I didn't see you. I've been standing here for the last ten minutes. I won't be long. Um, that's not the point. The point is, I was here first. Well, if you were here first, you'd be holding the phone. <laughs> you know, we're living in a society. <laughs> we're supposed to act in a civilized way. As far as this episode goes, is it one of the funniest episodes? I don't necessarily put it on that level, but it was a great indicator of what the show could do, what was possible with it. It's something they would explore a couple of times throughout that all in a one area with one story basically going on. Even though it's not the pilot episode, it kind of works as to like a small scale of what the show becomes over time where it's like taking these ideas and tying them together. They always wrap the show up with like circling back to oh, a joke yeah, that started at the, at the beginning. Yeah. Which is something that as a kid I actually noticed and it was something that stood out. Like you weren't necessarily getting that from full house right. or like home improvement yeah. or shows that were on in the nineties. They didn't really work that way. The second one that we selected is definitely a famous episode that I would probably say pops up during one of the great seasons of the show, which was season four. And that would be the bubble boy season four, episode seven. This is one of my favorite seasons. I love a couple of the storylines that run through it. Of course, them making the show like trying to pitch. Yeah. The Seinfeld show. Essentially. I love most of the things that build into that throughout the season. But also, a lot of the George-Susan relationship stuff is good. It sets up a lot of stuff. They're able to do a lot of callback humor to it throughout the season. Yeah. There's a lot of things about Seinfeld that I didn't pick up on when I was younger that you don't really realize. Well, I was so used to seeing so much of it in syndication. You catch random episodes over time as you're growing up. So I was never able to really tie together a lot of the serial callback references like the episodes that would be in order and yeah you actually 
they spend a lot more time tying. Yeah, there's the more things together. that connect and little Easter egg and like references to things than you would think. Right. Because sometimes they're not even back to back. They yeah. might be something that pops up later in a season or something like that. But I was thinking even more on a meta level where sometimes the story that goes on in the episode is reflective of something going on in Larry David's life or oh, Jerry yeah. Seinfeld's right. life or something going on with the show in real life or things like that. One of the episodes we picked for this, give us a second, specifically is based on a real life thing that ties in with the show, but in a weird way. Right. But sometimes when they were doing the whole NBC pitch thing and stuff going on with NBC, had, you know, that was directly tied in with the show itself or the real NBC executives that would give them a hard time or Larry David threatening to quit, which he did over the Chinese restaurant one. If oh, NBC yeah. wanted to change it, he was, he was in the second year of a show that wasn't that popular. He's just threatening to quit. <laughs> <laughs> or when Putty does Jerry's sexual move, right. he's basically talking about joke stealing. Or whenever Banya comes up on stage after Jerry and gets his laughs, they're talking about like lead-in shows. Right. How... Or shows that were like benefiting from a lead in shows that would run after Seinfeld that would become time slot hits. Yeah. And so Banya was a time slot hit. You know, right. that kind of a thing. Well, they were always like commentating on yeah. things going on in their real lives. I mean, of course, famously, an episode from the first season where George quits his job and then pretends like he didn't. That's something that Larry David actually did. It's Saturday Night Live. Yeah. yeah. This is Donald. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Who are you? Where's Seinfeld? He's on his way. These are his friends. What are you looking at? Never seen a kid in a bubble before? <laughs> of course I have. Come on. My cousin's in a bubble. My friend Jeffrey's uh, sister, also. Bubble. You know. I got a lot of bubble experience. Come on. What's your story? I, I, I have no story. She works for NBC. How about taking your top off? Donald, behave yourself. Come on. I know, I know. Why don't you play a game of Trivial Pursuit? Uh, well, you know, we gotta be running because of the... the... Oh, what, are you afraid? <laughs> no, uh, you see, it's just... Oh, the... I'm gonna kick your ass. <laughs> the Bubble Boy was written by Larry David and Larry Charles. I like Naomi. I actually enjoy her. Elmer Fudd sitting on a juicer laugh. Yeah. I think it's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, wow. Just such a cringe moment of George leaving the voicemail. <laughs> the uh, voicemail. Or whatever. Yeah, sorry. The, <laughs> the, answering the message. message. On the, yeah. Yeah, and, and Jerry, when he just rips the answering machine <laughs> out of the wall. <laughs> yeah, he would do that rip move a couple times, yeah. like when he tells his parents that he's not engaged anymore, and then he hangs up and they call back and he just rips his phone right <laughs> out of the wall. <laughs> so most of the episodes, uh, of course, George is the one that I'm relating to. It's just like looking in a mirror, of course, everything that happens to him just reminds me of my life. But there's sometimes that it's Jerry. And in this episode... The move where Jerry decides not to print off directions because he's going to follow George <laughs> is such a thing I would do and then get lost because I can't keep up with the person. Yeah, I would be Kramer, the person that like <laughs> not leaving, not invited. 
and then showing up anyway and burning the cabin down. <laughs> <laughs> the Kramer versus Susan thing is sort of funny in season four where she doesn't like him because he throws up on her and yeah. that's the whole thing and then he burns the cabin <laughs> right it's just his ongoing i mean thing. kramer is so there just for like slapstick humor yeah that's what he's bringing to the table all the time george and jerry so much of the humor is like conversational and situational with them but kramer is the one that it's always like something physical is happening to or he's doing something physical this episode has brian doyle murray as a guest star Basically, what you were talking about, George is driving, pre-cell phones, it's very poor planning. Kramer and Naomi end up going to the cabin, which I think is weird. He ends up like, they end up like swimming. I don't know if the implication is they're like skinny dipping or what is happening. It feels like they've escalated to a sexual relationship. He like like does a towel, he like towel snaps her ass. Right. And she like is giggling. Yeah. It is weird. Oh, it seems like Kramer's always kind of lurking, ready to jump in on yeah they did that specific storyline with pam yeah yeah who was the girl from nightmare on elm street too who looks like meryl streep (laughs) that's true the recognizable (laughs) that's true she does look like meryl streep (laughs) (laughs) though i was just thinking the recognizable women that show up on this series yeah just an insane list that diner that elaine and jerry are at is the same set they use for reggie's diner which is like the alternative to monks that you see sometimes The voice of Donald is hilarious. It was really a guy named John Heyman. We'll we'll circle back to that in a second. But when George and Susan show up, that is so funny and awkward and random. Because in this universe of Seinfeld, Jerry is not that famous. Right. So you have this not that famous guy who's supposed to show up as like a favor for this boy who lives in a bubble, but then his random friends are there and they just have to like kill time. <laughs> And then Donald's like, hey, how about taking your top off? Oh, I know. That's wild. <laughs> Donald is, like, unbelievable. Yeah, it seems like Donald is tough. Just yelling at his mom. <laughs> yeah, his parents don't seem to really like him all that much. The Trivial Pursuit thing is funny, the moops and the moors. But if you pay attention, it's really Susan that pops the bubble. That's right. When yes. she's, like, hitting it when Donald is choking George. <laughs> The 20th anniversary edition of Trivial Pursuit features a card with the question, what series co-creator supplied the voice for Seinfeld's Bubble Boy? According to the card, the answer is Larry David. It's a misprint. It should say John Heyman. John Heyman is not a co-creator of Seinfeld, though, so the question doesn't even make sense. Yeah, that's weird. But the fact that it's a misprint is hilarious because of the Moops and Morse thing. I don't know if that's intentional or not. It feels like it might be. It but feels like it has to be. But but yeah, but John Heyman is not a co-creator though. Yeah. So then the answer is not exactly wrong. Right. Either. It could just be misinformation altogether though. Yeah. It just seems like a weird thing. The cabin burns down at the end, which brings us into our next pick, <laughs> which is the very next episode, the Cheever Letters, season four, episode eight. I love this run, and we might do this episode later. But there's. A- Another episode in this season where Elaine says something to George about like, well, since Susan has met you, her father's cabin is burnt down. She found out her dad was gay (laughs) and you got her fired from her job. Yeah. (laughs) The cabin. (laughs) Well, Susan? Uh, About the cabin. I love that place. My father built that cabin in 1947. 
My mother was recuperating from Infotiger with the time, and Dad thought it would be a good idea to get her out into the fresh air. She died there the following winter. <laughs> Dad passed away 10 years later to the day. His last words to me were, cherish the cabin. <laughs> Not uh, take care of your sister. She's a paraplegic. <laughs> but cherish the cabin. And I have for 45 years. It's often been a sanctuary for me. Kind of like Superman's Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> what? Uh, Superman, he uh, built the Fortress of Solitude up at the North Pole to, uh, you know, sort of get away from it all. <laughs> when I go, I'm passing it on to her. <laughs> Take a hotel any day. Daddy? Yes? Daddy, about the cabin. <clears throat> Look, Henry, I spilled wine on me. <laughs> what about it? Well, the thing is, what? What is it? Well, the, the cabin is kind of, uh, George? <clears throat> Burned. <laughs> Burned? There was a fire, and it, uh... Burned. The cabin burned? <laughs> burned. <laughs> was anything found? Was it all burned to the ground? Did they find anything? No, nothing. Nothing? <laughs> But, you know, Mr. Ross, if you, if you look at the whole situation, what with it being uh, your cigars and everything, it's really rather ironic. One might even say, in a sense, comical. <laughs> really? Think about it. The teleplay was by Larry David, story by David, Elaine Pope, and Tom Leopold. It's the first appearance of Susan's parents, Warren Frost and Grace Zabritsky. That's right, Twin Peaks. Who both appeared in Twin Peaks. Grace Zabritsky was Laura Palmer's mother, and Warren Frost was Donna Hayward's father, who was played by Laura Flynn Boyle. I know, that's weird. They would not appear again on Seinfeld for like three more years or something like that. It was like a long time after this episode, okay. which is weird. Yeah, that is weird. But Grace Zabritsky is one of the greats unbelievable in david lynch stuff but then so funny oh, in seinfeld but yeah. i've seen her pop up on other shows too i believe she was in an episode of king of queens maybe or something like that yeah where she played Patton oswald's mother or something and i thought that was very funny okay she's very good at like sitcom comedy but then also super intense and weird for david lynch stuff too so in this cheever letters episode Watching George and Jerry try to write for their show. The pilot yeah. for the Seinfeld project. I, I mean, just the most relatable thing ever. Yeah. Uh, and beyond just like whatever creative projects or anything I've ever tried to do in my life, just anything. This is just everything for me. Like if yeah. I have to do something. Any okay. distraction, you're <laughs> so welcomed. Yeah. The cool thing about the Seinfeld project on the show itself, though, was that it was so meta and so ahead of its time. Right. Because, again, much like the Chinese restaurant episode, this was just an idea that I don't think any sitcom was attempting anything on this No, level. totally. It was just so different and unique. There was certainly, a, like, it feels like a formula for sitcom television. And it actually seems weird that they did so many different things in this format. Yeah. Now, like looking back, I mean, sitcom was such a popular 
style of television shows, but it just seems weird to be this experimental in a sitcom style. This episode features Sandra, Elaine's chatty assistant, oh, who yeah. Jerry gets fired and then, or no, she quits. Right, because Jerry offends her. Yeah, and then Jerry has to smooth that over, and then it blows up in his face. I do love whenever Susan's father says to her mother, wear some more lipstick. Oh, yeah, those two have quite a little relationship. (laughs) That dinner scene where they have to tell him that the cabin burned down is so funny. Oh, I know. And her mother's reaction is just laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's rough. The whole thing with the dirty talk between Jerry and Sandra, which it becomes like the other big focal point of the episode, is so weird to me. It is weird, but I because, definitely get it. <laughs> well, Jerry is like whispering something that she says to George. Yeah. But we don't hear that. And that's where he like squeezes the ketchup across the diner. Right, right. Yes. And then Jerry says, and then she started talking about her panties. And George starts like freaking out as if the thing that Jerry told him before that we didn't hear was not as bad like he's escalating and i'm like well what could that have been if the panties talk was worse right or not worse but you know dirtier i don't know and i was thinking well by my standards i'm sure none of this could have been that filthy (laughs) for me it's like i can't even imagine diving into that world (laughs) i would end up saying something so ridiculous that doesn't make sense (laughs) well that's the thing I actually think what Jerry said okay. was was not that bad. Yeah. And it no, definitely it just seems it, weird. I don't think it's that weird. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'm dabbling <laughs> in waters that other people just yeah. aren't, but it's just I don't think it's a skill that I would have. <laughs> I don't want to reveal like too yeah. much about my own personal life, but I feel like I've dabbled a little bit. I believe that of you. I don't think this would be like something I'd be very smooth at. I didn't say it was smooth, but <laughs> might have been disturbing. Yeah, yeah. Which is also, I think, welcome. You mean the panties your mother laid out for you, which I just don't really think is... I think it's sort of dirty, especially now with that faux incest porn, yeah. you know, the stepbro, stepmother bullshit that is all over, like, Pornhub. And yeah. It but, just doesn't seem like that but the idea out that of the going blue to me. For totally hits, it's like it. he's embarrassed by it and... Obviously doesn't really want anybody to know. Well, that's true. That's very realistic, no matter yeah, what, what level the, it is. Right. You don't want that repeated, which is why it's such a horrible blunder on his part yeah. in the first place. So the big reveal of the cabin burning was that the only thing that survived was this metal box of letters between the writer, John Cheever, and Susan's father. In this scene, we see Susan's family, a brother and an aunt that we never see again, but it's very funny, the whole family dynamic. Oh, yeah. Grace Zabriskie, like, going crazy about the right. the wheelchair wheels. <laughs> if you ever wonder how a girl like Susan starts dating George, you kind of get a little glimpse into her whole background. A lot here. of darkness yeah. in her family, maybe. And we find out that her father carried on a secret love affair with John Cheever's I was like, that's weird because John Cheever's like a real writer. Yeah. A real person that lived. He was dead by that point, I believe. But <laughs> Who would have known he would have spent time at Susan's father's fictional cabin? Yeah. I guess that after he died, like his daughter did reveal that he had had, like, because he was married to a woman, but I guess he had love affairs with men and women or something. Okay. So they wow. decided to throw Susan's Power move. father into the mix. Yeah. <laughs> 
He was one of them. I guess. I guess you could just sort of take liberties like that whenever it's common knowledge that, that something happened. Public I domain? Know. I don't know. It's weird. And of course, the episode is great, but the thing that just... Oh, yeah. It's one of the all-time great endings to an episode. Absolutely. Like, the the last line. And Elaine is so good. Julia Louis-Dreyfus. The way that she saves it... <laughs> yeah, because she acts on. like... Yeah, she doesn't know. She gets him to write a check for the long-distance calls that she's getting busted for now right. because yeah. Sandra's working in a different department. No sells it. Just like, yeah, she never said anything else. And he's like, great, great, great. What? You know how much money you cost me today? $429. What? How? I got Sandra transferred to another office upstairs, okay? So she blabs to Lippman about my long-distance calls to Europe. What calls? Oh, I made a friend when I was in Europe, okay? And we've been in touch, and Sandra told Lippman. Oh, did, did she say anything else to you? Anything else? What do you mean, anything else? So she just left the office, didn't say a word to you about anything? Yeah. Beautiful. Why is that beautiful? Oh, no, not beautiful. It's $429. Hey, look, I'm going to pay for that. No, no. No, I insist. I was the one that encouraged you to fire her. The whole thing was okay. all my fault. <laughs> smoke? Jorge, hey, Jerry, I want you to meet my new friends here. This is uh, Louise, Jorge, and Humberto. Hey. Oh, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Yeah, we're heading up to Westchester. Gonna hit the links. Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, isn't that, uh, you? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. We're going. All right. Vamanos, muchachos. <laughs> Oh, uh, the Falconer by John Cheever. It's really excellent. John Cheever, you ever read any of his stuff? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with some of his writing. Yeah. All right, look, we got to get back to work. We just had a big breakthrough here. Okay, I'll leave you two alone. Okay. Maybe I'll go visit my mother. She just bought me some new panties, and they're all laid out for me. <laughs> It almost feels like a freeze frame. Yeah, yeah absolutely. When she drops yeah. the line, like, oh, I'm going to stop over to see my mother. She just bought some new panties and she has them all laid out for me or whatever she says. Yeah, you think it's a freeze frame because George and Jerry both are like frozen in place, but I then know. you realize it's not actually a freeze frame. Right. <laughs> I guess it was one of the longest sustained laughs. Of the show, because they did record this in front of a studio audience, although they did sweeten the laughs, I think, with a laugh track. I think that's pretty obvious. Sure. And they actually had to cut the laugh down because it was so long. Oh, wow. (laughs) No, it is good. It's such a great ending. Which brings us to our next episode, which also had one of the longest studio audience laughs, which would be The Marine Biologist. Oh, yeah. The next season, season five, episode 14, written by Ron Haig and Charlie Rubin. Carol Kane guest stars in this episode. That's right. She actually beat out Cheryl Lee. Who wow. Played Laura Palmer. Oof. Which I think would have taken that character in a completely different direction. Yeah. I don't think that Cheryl Lee would be funny no. like Carol Kane. More of a tragic figure. <laughs> yeah. She's Getting like hit sad. by that navigator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is just one of those episodes, too, that is so much better because of when it takes place. Like, the fact that there's this long period of building of the George character 
Yeah. You know what I mean? It makes it that much better. It's one of Jerry Seinfeld's personal favorite episodes. And as I said, the ending to this episode was similar to the Cheever letters in terms of just a legendary sustained laugh. You can actually see Julia Louis-Dreyfus like laughing during yeah. one of it. Oh, I know. The whole George monologue at the end is just so great. And obviously it's been like put on all sorts of pop culture art pieces. And it seems that that wasn't really part of the original script. Oh, wow. That I think Larry David, who didn't even write this episode, thought it would be better to do it like that. Because I think at one point, they were actually going to show the whale. And I, I guess Never they just didn't idea. like know quite how. They knew, obviously, that the golf ball was going to end up there. And you know, that, right, they knew right. where the story yeah, was yeah, going, yeah. but they didn't know how to present it. And having George just deliver the monologue explaining what happened is so much better than anything they could have come up with. Oh, right. I know. Even like it's great with it ends and then the credit stuff continues the scene yeah they come back yeah. for the ending we're more of it <laughs> i know it's even better there's some other tidbits in the episode that i think are noteworthy when yeah. jerry starts telling elaine about golden boy the t-shirt it's something that happens throughout the show and it fits in with the whole idea that the characters are completely self-obsessed sociopaths right because elaine is like on the phone with her job getting this big news about this Russian writer that she's going to edit the book. And he is just interrupting to tell her about a teacher. Yeah, I know. And it reminds me of the California episode whenever Jerry and Kramer are finally like patching it up and Kramer's going on and on about life in LA and how it's been hard and blow, you know, whatever. And George is just interrupting to talk about this pickle that's in his sandwich. He's like, I think it's a, I think it's a dill or whatever he keeps saying, you know, Well, even in the Bubble Boy episode when friggin' Bubble Boy's dad is telling about the son, the Bubble Boy, and he's getting teary-eyed, Elaine's getting choked up, and Jerry is just like... Wiping his mouth with the napkin, yeah. (laughs) Just not reacting. One of my favorite scenes in maybe the whole series is Jerry telling George about this girl from college and how (laughs) she's going to give... Him a call. Yeah, and George is like... Okay. Yeah. If you're messing with me, if you're joking around, <laughs> we are through. We're not friends anymore. George? She said George? She remembered my name. Diane DeCon remembered my name. She was the it girl. <laughs> yeah, she asked for your number. I think she's going to get in touch with you. Okay, I'm telling you right now. If you're kidding around, I'm not going to be able to be a friend anymore. I'm serious about that. You got that? I got no problem with that. Good. Because if this is a lie, if this is a joke, if this is your idea of some cute little game, we're finished. Expect a call. Oh, my God, he's not kidding. Now, I should tell you... ...that at this point... She's under the impression that you're a, uh... A what? A marine biologist. <laughs> a marine biologist? Yes. Why am I a marine biologist? <laughs> I may have mentioned it. Jason Alexander bursts into the episode doing a Jack Nicholson impression from A Few Good Men. Which I'm not sure if they included this as an inside nod because 
Jason Alexander was actually going to be in A Few Good Men if Seinfeld didn't get picked up. Okay. People, I think, forget that Jason Alexander was a little bit of a character actor. He actually plays like that rapist guy in Pretty Woman. Oh, wow. He gets like a, yeah. a little out of control with Julia Roberts. And I think he was afraid that people were going to just think of him as that guy. And thankfully, like Seinfeld came and got big. Although, probably when they were filming Pretty Woman, they had already filmed the first season of Seinfeld, but, you know, it hadn't taken off or anything. Right. But I also enjoy. George does get into this whole marine biologist thing, which, you know, obviously the the whole premise of the episode is Jerry has lied to this woman. You know that I always wanted to pretend that I was an architect. (laughs) But also, like, he gets himself caught up into this, like, pretending to be a marine biologist thing. Uh, How he's flipping out because he's like, I I don't know what to do. I'm a marine biologist. And he's, like, going along with the bit. I didn't even know it was a job. (laughs) But I love Jerry being like, I figured this would be right up your alley. Because it does seem like something you would do. There's a lot of good stuff in it. Carol Kane is completely insane. That scene where she's like waiting in the hotel lobby where they're trying to get Yuri Testikoff to like admit right. that he threw the planner out the window so that he'll pay for her hospital bill so yeah. that she'll give the planner back to Elaine when the, the hotel oh, manager no. comes up and she's like, sorry, I wouldn't want to take any attention away from the hookers. <laughs> and then she looks at his name tag and the way she pronounced she's like Crowl. <laughs> it's such a weird performance I that I can't it. imagine Cheryl Lee doing it. How intricate the plot details are from these episodes. Like <laughs> and it happens so quick that you like don't even give credit to it a lot of the times. Yeah, they just set up so much. Yeah. The fact that Jerry tells Elaine that War and Peace was called War What Is It Good For? <laughs> Totally and then she repeats it. it. <laughs> there was just so many things like watching from the 90s and stuff too that you're just like, how is life like this? The fact that she has this navigator to store all this information from to get a hold of people. Yeah. They were obsessed with that kind of technology on Seinfeld because remember Jerry gives his dad that similar thing that right. he wants to use as a tip calculator. I just don't know how... Life was like that, the pre-cell phone era. It was better. Yeah, no, I think a lot of <laughs> things were better. And I think there was a lot less anxiety and neuroses and oh yeah, less problems out there. But it just seems like people are like overconnected now. But oh um, yeah, <laughs> it's it, you just it seemed like there was way more of an ability to like wind down and separate a little bit. But I just don't know how you did it, though. If I can you, remember a pre-cell phone oh, age. Oh, same, same. But I, I just mean like the idea of like trying to stay connected with all these people. I mean, I think it's a little bit different as a You had a to kid. just put more effort into it. Yeah, yeah. Writing people letters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jerry and George just writing each other yeah. letters. <laughs> no, you just called each other's phones yeah. at their house. You left messages on their machine. You showed up like they do on the show. Meeting places. Meet for a drink at this bar at 7 o'clock. It's just like... What a bust if something happens while somebody's on their way there or whatever. And you're just waiting. No idea. Yeah, well. How often does that really happen, though? I don't know. Who's to say? I don't know, because now people text me. The next episode is one that I picked. Mm. And <laughs> you're like, mm, I didn't know we were dividing yeah, I didn't up know like things that. things were being announced like that. I'm prefacing it only to say that it I consider it to be a super underrated episode, because I've seen it all over the place on... 
Seinfeld ranking the episode lists. And there definitely have been some where I've seen this towards the bottom of the entire run. Oh, wow. Which is crazy because this episode is super fucking funny to me. Yes, I think I know which one you're talking about. Well, we are going in order of the six we picked. We're going in order. This would be The Muffin Tops, Season 8, Episode 21, written by Spike Ferriston. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Peterman Reality Tour. Turn music off. Hey, man, can we just go? And go we will. What is this? It's a pound cake. Well, we have a bonus ultra-reality stop today. We're going to be hauling muffin stumps to the local repository. We're going to a garbage dump? And we're off. You know, I never thought he'd be able to recreate the experience of actually knowing him, but this is pretty close. Hey, where do you think you're going? Well, I was going to dump this. Doesn't look like garbage. Well, it's muffin stumps. Where are the muffin tops? This is a garbage dump. Just let me dump it. Can't do it. Is this a joke? That's what I like to know about it. You have a pretty heavy beard, don't you? What's that? Well, look, it's almost time for you to shave again. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, you're in for an additional treat. Uh, we're going to extend the tour at no extra charge. Where are we going? I don't know. Uh, no more questions. My chest hair's growing back and it's itching me like crazy. I can't let her see me scratch it. Well, don't worry. I I got a good feeling about this dump. I'm losing it. I can't sit on this bus anymore. I think I'll go play with that dog. An episode that never fails to make me laugh. I was watching it last night, laughing hysterically at a bunch of stuff. The ending with the Jay Peterman reality tour, the bus tour that <laughs> yeah. Kramer does, I think is so funny. The people on it, how crazy it is. Right. Just trying to imagine that as if it was real. I absolutely love the end of this episode. I think it's absolutely just the wildest parody to have in something, or I guess reference i mean this whole pulp fiction scene where newman Newman, is who we haven't mentioned yet although he is in the next episode as well this is another episode where i found myself really relating to jerry ism i guess you shave your chest not that but his whole thing as to how he got to the completely shaved chest where it started (laughs) off he noticed an asymmetry and it was an accident there's been many beard shaves in my life that meant to be like a (laughs) touch-up Yeah. That turned into an entire shave because I just kept getting it not <laughs> symmetrical. This episode features two beautiful women guest stars that are favorites of this show. That's right. Yeah. First of all, Rena Sofer, who we talked about on the Save by the Bell I- Hawaiian style episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure everybody. Uh, the, oh, yeah. Isn't that the girl that Zach was She had a kid <laughs> yeah. in Hawaii. Zach was going to move to Hawaii while he was in high school. <laughs> 
to be with. She went from dating Zach Morris in Hawaii to dating George Costanza. Oh, I know. <laughs> what a life. Wow. And Melinda a... Clark. <laughs> Just... Julie Cooper from the OC. I know. She plays Jerry's girlfriend in this one, who likes hairless dogs. <laughs> the babes that George and Jerry are just... Well, Jerry, you can kind of get. He's on TV. Sure. He's like okay. a comedian. Yeah. I know. George, is, it's inexplicable. Yeah, it's inexplicable. The, I this think... is maybe, out of all of the insane ones, this is like at least top three. Yeah. There's that blonde one that he wants to take to the ball, <laughs> who he keeps dodging the breakup. Right. Who is like a supermodel. Yeah, yeah. There's the one who plays a model who gets him into the hot club, remember? Yes. Who I think he, he thinks that she's bulimic, maybe, if that's the same one. I think that's right. Yeah. It's insane. Right. I mean, he's George. <laughs> that's all, that's really all I can say. Yeah, it's a rough look. At the bookstore, there's a girl from Can't Hardly Wait. She's the one that comes up. <laughs> it's like, who's ripping the tops of these muffins off? And you're probably thinking, what girl from can hardly wait and she's the one that makes fun of seth green for being the chester cheetos guy oh wow she basically has like two lines and can hardly wait and then she has one line in seinfeld yeah. I, was, I recognized her immediately <laughs> <laughs> folks it's a sad life okay Over i mean here. i will say you are constantly being like oh yeah that person that was in uh, they were this in that one episode of seinfeld yeah well yeah i'm really tuned into the seinfeld yeah, stuff. yeah. i've been watching it my whole life it feels like the whole Mr. Lippman thing, he played a different character at one point early on in the show. I, I think know, in one I was episode. Watching that episode earlier too, which was weird. Right, and then he does play Elaine's boss, and then he comes back in this one. The Peterman reality tour, where Kramer has his stories used in Peterman's book. This is all based off of the real life Kenny Kramer, who the character is based off of, who did this exact same thing. Okay, yeah, and that's what I was referring to earlier. About the meta things, about what certain things are taken from, or what it's I about. I always kind of I knew that Kramer was based off of I think the guy that did live across from Jerry in real life, something like that. It might have been Larry, but okay. I'm not, one of the two, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I always wondered about how long this guy was inspiring some of the Kramer storylines. But I, I mean, we're deep into the show at this point. Yeah, I think he did a reality tour about like the real Kramer, so okay. then they do this. Yeah, yeah. Which is just brilliant. Littman opens up the Top of the Muffin store, which brings a couple of great lines for me when that guy is telling Elaine about it. Oh, and right. she just repeats what he said. And he goes, what did I just say? <laughs> it's always funny to me when the other characters who pop up into their world act like they do. Yeah. Just unrepentant assholes. Part of this reminded me of just me and you, the whole sequence where George is standing there and the guy asked him to watch his bag that's the type of shit that never happens to you but happens to me i don't have a good watch my bag face (laughs) no no i mean you just don't open yourself up people don't get the sense that you're gonna do nice things for them i would say (laughs) jesus (laughs) what a bear no i'm kidding i just i am like that person that's just like got sucked this guy looks like a sucker he'll stay here for an hour and the part where george tries to ask somebody else to watch the bag and the guy's basically like screw off like why would i do that and Jerry's just like, I'm going to go be friends with that guy <laughs> instead of you. That kind of reminded me of our dynamic. Well, it all works out for him because he, he parlays that into dating Rena Sofer, who that's, thinks he's a tourist. That's true. Yeah. But again, it's another situation where George is dating someone based off a lie. Well. Which is most of the time. 
if you boil down everything I've accomplished in my life into one day, it looks decent. (laughs) (laughs) One of the weirdest jokes on this show, and I actually Googled this, and other people were asking the same questions, and no one has an answer other than, I guess it was just supposed to be random and weird, and like a little bit of a celebrity call out, but no one really knows why or what it's about, is they have that woman who in this episode works for the homeless shelter, although later she says that she worked for like a Britano's bookstore, the the heavy set woman uh-huh. whose name is Rebecca DeMornay, which is the same name as the actress Rebecca DeMornay, who yep. by this point, her star had started to fade a little bit. We're a couple years removed from The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, which is probably the biggest movie she was ever in. Okay. Why did they do this? I don't know. Because her second appearance, which I think was the next season in season nine, she doubles down and she keeps making sure that you say Rebecca DeMornay, like the full name, uh-huh. as if they don't want her to just be Rebecca. Like, you have to know that that's her name. Right. I don't know why, and no one seems to know why. I Googled it, and everyone who was bringing it up was like, I don't know. Yeah, that is odd. Maybe it's just an inside joke. Yeah, it could be connected to the John Voight thing where they just think that that's funny. Okay. But the John Voight thing had a payoff because George is confused by it and actually thinks it's a celebrity, but it isn't. There's no real payoff to this. There's no real joke to it. I don't know. The whole Stumps thing is funny. Kramer's war veterans line always gets me where he thinks that she's talking about people. (laughs) (laughs) That she's just calling Stumps. Oh, God. (laughs) The ending is unbelievable. Absolutely. The whole thing with Jerry shaving his chest, the chest hair starts coming back, and he's like freaking out because he doesn't want his girlfriend to see that he's shaving the chest or yeah. itching it. And he's like, I think I'll go play with that dog. Right. <laughs> Which I think is one of the funniest lines maybe in the entire show because it's so random as an excuse to get off this insane bus ride that they're on where oh, they're I having know. pizza bagels made of, out of donuts. And- People are vomiting. and <laughs> No, it seems disgusting. He's like, I didn't think that he'd actually be able to recreate the feeling of knowing him, but he did a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Newman recreating Harvey Keitel from Pulp Fiction as the cleaner. It's unbelievable. If I'm Kurt, I apologize. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just those bags of stumps, and he pulls out that milk <laughs> Just going to go to town on him. (laughs) I love the episode. I think it's really funny. I love the concept of George dating this insanely gorgeous woman just because he's a tourist. It doesn't even make any sense. This is also him like losing his job in this episode. Yeah, which I guess happens in between episodes or because of this. I don't know. But traded. The top of the muffins thing has great lines and, and pretty funny payoff. It's not top of the muffin. To you! No, it is. <laughs> Lippman's response is bonkers. You're just, okay, what? And one more thing. Do you really think we need the exclamation point? Because it's not top of the muffin to you! No, no, it is. <laughs> and then Jerry shaving his chest, that seems like the weakest thing, but then it comes back yeah. later with the ending where they're parroting Wolf, the movie with Jack Nicholson, it seems like. And then the Pulp Fiction thing. I think it's a home run episode. I don't know why it's looked down on by some people. That seems crazy to me. 
when we were going through trying to pick episodes, it certainly wasn't one that came to mind for me, but I, I enjoyed it. It's a little under the radar. Which brings us to our last selection for this episode. Another famous one from the later years. Yeah. Probably the highlight of the last season, this I would is say. one I can remember watching when it aired, which I don't have that memory a lot. Yeah. I, I didn't see a lot of them air. We're, of know. course, talking about the Puerto Rican Day Parade. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, the best episode of the last season, of course, is the Merv Griffin Show, Season 9, Episode 6, written by Bruce Eric Kaplan. Which, being familiar with the show at the time, but, you know, not really being on the level with everything that was going on with the show. But this just seemed so insane, the gimmick for it. Like, it really jumps out at you. This whole thing of Kramer taking this set and putting it in his apartment. Well, I will say that if you go back and you actually do watch from the beginning, if you start season one, episode one, and you go all the way through till the end of season nine, you will notice that it drifts further and further from reality and becomes more surreal and crazier especially seasons eight and nine. The Muffin Tops is pretty wild. Right. But then you get to this one and some of the other stuff in season nine as well, which is just so weird and crazy Yeah, that you don't feel like they're real people anymore. Right. But for whatever reason, Seinfeld pulled it off. Even though it got away from itself, the episodes were still really funny. Yeah, yeah. So it didn't matter that it didn't feel real anymore. It just was funny. Right. Which is all that really matters. And this one's completely insane. Of course, the Merv Griffin set, the real one, didn't exist anymore. They had to recreate it for the show. Just finding it in a dumpster. This episode is one of the few episodes that does not feature Jerry's apartment at all. And the reason is because they had to expand the sets that they would use to build this fake Merv Griffin set. And so they actually took down like parts of Jerry's set to do this. The idea that this could fit in Kramer's apartment... (laughs) An insane premise. Yeah, I know. That Kramer's just going to ha- pretend to have a talk show in his apartment throughout well, the rest of our lives. <laughs> so, three dates and she still won't let me play with the toys. Hmm, that's interesting. You know, someone mentioned to me you were not very happy with your toys growing up. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, you mentioned that uh, you didn't get a G.I. Joe. You had an army piece. Right. <laughs> made of wood and in the rain he would swell up and then split and we all know how painful that can be Jerry? oh Elaine oh, Bennis well this is quite a thrill yes come <laughs> well I'll tell you this Seidler guy is really no. chapping my hide excuse me yeah we're talking this way well he's getting credit for work that i did he's gonna sidle me right out of a job uh now for those of us who don't know a sidling is what kramer what is wrong with you what do you mean well for starters you're looking at note cards i'm gonna have to give that guy a taste of his own medicine so i am going to sidle the sidler you sidle you you stomp around like a clydesdale these honeys wrestling shoes (laughs) only in new york (laughs) jerry hello ladies and gentlemen it's our good friend george costanza 
music on. <laughs> well, it happened again. What happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll ask the questions. <laughs> what happened? Well, I just stomped some pigeons in the park. They, they didn't move. All right, let's uh, change the subject. Uh, now, uh, you and uh, Jerry dated for a while. Tell us, uh, what was that like? wrong card. I, I don't get these birds. They're breaking the deal. It's, it's like the pigeons decided to ignore me. So they're like everyone else. <laughs> All right, let's take a short break. actually did this when i lived in oakland with a, a listener of the show oh no and another roommate we turned our dining room into a set and did, we were gonna like try to have an internet talk show did you have note cards <laughs> kind of <laughs> we were like basically stealing ideas from like howard stern and stuff oh, wow. where we were all gonna make like a big revelation or something and that was gonna be like one of our first episodes which i don't know why anyone would care but it was never really clear how we were going to record or broadcast the show, so it probably would have turned into the Merv Griffin show set in Kramer's apartment where yeah. we would just be doing this show for no one. <laughs> I don't really know how to explain it, but... Were there going to be like as many hot chicks as were on like the Howard Stern show? We're going to try. Yeah. <laughs> Put some feelers out there. <laughs> See what takes. Jerry was a guest on the actual Merv Griffin show in real life, which I found to be pretty funny. This episode is so centered around the Merv Griffin concept that you don't notice, really, that some of the other parts are a little bit of a dud. That's true. I think the whole Seidler concept with that guy sidling at Elaine's office is a nothing story. Not great. I'm into Jerry's story. The toys? While it might be a little bit disturbing. It's another prime example of George's conversational skills, though. Yeah. In that sequence right before he hits the first pigeons that leads to the whole thing with the squirrel and everything. Right. The stuff that he's saying where he's like, I spilled a smoothie in here the other day. I bet you can't even tell. And then she just goes, banana. And he's just like baffled that she could tell. (laughs) (laughs) Those episodes where we see George away from the rest of the gang and on dates or with his girlfriends or whoever and the stuff that he's talking about is so embarrassing. (laughs) It definitely makes me think of you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I watch all the Kirby enthusiasm too. I mean, just these horrible things happening all the time. But even like just being bothered by these so specific details of life, just <laughs> yeah. can't let them go. You would be saddled with taking care of a squirrel that you ran over. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that seems like something I'd be telling you about. The Murph Griffin Show episode connects back to the Muffin Tops in a very specific way. When they're driving on that bus for the J. Peterman reality tour, Kramer has that tape that he plays. It's like, and then it goes, turn music off. (laughs) (laughs) The same joke appears 
in the Merv Griffin show episode where he's playing the Merv Griffin music. Okay. When people are coming into his apartment and he's acting like they're on the show and he's like moving right. them down the chairs. And then it says, turn music off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a specific moment when Kramer's doing, I don't know if it's when he's like, let's take a short break. And then he's doing like the whole thing or something. But there's a part where if you look closely, you can see Jason Alexander's head shaking because he's laughing so hard. And, then, you know, he's just like turning his head like that away from the oh, camera. Oh, sure. Yeah. But Kramer's just like off on this bit. <laughs> the yeah. whole thing is very funny. Then Kramer, get- I think, is like so good in this episode. Newman gets added to the mix. Yeah. Where he's supposed to be like the sidekick. Kramer just being like caught up in this thing where he like is just being Merv Griffin <laughs> and like can't stop. It being this talk show host for some reason. So you and Jerry used to date. Yeah. That, well, that must have been weird. Tell us what that was like. And he makes like a face. And then he realizes he's talking to George. It's like so stupid. I know. But great. To circle back to the squirrel thing, when they actually have to pay for the squirrel to have like this insane surgery oh, and to fly into little tools from El Paso and the whole thing. And then it's dawning on George that he's going to actually have to keep the squirrel like after the surgery and everything, it's not enough that he's paid for it. Now he's like take the squirrel into his care. So he goes there, the vet or the doctor takes him back to see the squirrel. And then he leaves him there and he says, you have 30 minutes (laughs) as if he's going to talk to the squirrel or something. And then Jerry's story with the toys is sort of dark. They're using the, him wanting to play with the toys as if like they're, horny teenagers in the backseat of a car where she's like oh those hands they never stop but instead of them like touching her they're reaching for the toys right but then it takes like an even darker twist when he begins drugging her yes to play with the toys the vintage toys and then they bring george into it and then eventually elaine i know and it's then pretty messed up they're watching george's vacation video and then he goes don't look this is the part where they change me and you hear his parents on the tape and Jerry goes, weren't you eight? (laughs) He goes, no, seven. That is actually like a very disturbing joke for Seinfeld even. That is like so grotesque and horrifying. Yeah, I mean, it's it's in a darker episode. I mean, the fact that he's drugging his girlfriend. (laughs) Well, with turkey and wine. Well, that's true. Well, he gives her (laughs) drowsy medication at one point. Yeah, the first time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bright spot in an otherwise mediocre season by their standards yeah yeah obviously the last season of seinfeld is way better than anything that's on tv now as far as a sitcom but by their standards it was losing its fastball i think a little bit i think that's fair there's some good episodes in the last season yeah but for most of the season it's like oh there's a good story right of the three of this episode or something like that that merv griffin one just always sticks with me because i saw it at a young age and like i said it was one of the few i probably only saw episodes air in real time from that final season yeah well that one's considered a classic for sure so the plan is we're gonna try to do a part two and possibly more with six more episodes we're sort of trying to figure out how to do this we'll see how it goes yeah (laughs) We'll see how this comes together. I don't have high hopes right now. I don't know. We, we're going to stay committed to it. I think we could get better. Well, we're definitely going to do volume two for sure. That's guaranteed. Yeah. That'll probably be in a few weeks or maybe next month or something. We have no rush on these. It's casual. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. 
So check out Seinfeld on Netflix. I've been enjoying it even beyond just preparing for these. Give us a second. It's nice to have it back just to put on if there's nothing else. I can watch any episode at any time. It's a complete comfort show for me. Yeah, there's just so many layers to it. Honestly, any scene of George and Jerry just having a conversation over lunch is usually a great scene. There are no shows that are even close to being as funny as Seinfeld right now. And it, it's crazy how long ago even like the last funny show that was on TV aired. I mean, at this point, The Office, the American one, started in like 2005. That's true. I liked Modern Family. I, I never watched that when it was on, but I watched it this year on Hulu. And I was like, okay, this was pretty good. But that didn't last. I mean, it gets like less funny as it goes, I guess. There just aren't a lot of great sitcoms, and Seinfeld is far and away the best, and if you don't like it, then I don't really trust your opinions as far as comedy. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's a classic show. I mean, it's beloved. (laughs) It was endlessly successful and has been remembered positively and will live on for years to come. And they got out at the right time. It was hard when it happened. No one wanted it to happen. They were the number one show at the time. But it was the right move in retrospect, because when you go back and you examine that season nine, it just doesn't feel like they had a lot left because the, it had yeah. moved so far away from reality by that point. it's hard to keep it going. So many episodes. Yeah, it's unbelievable. A couple of those seasons, I, it's hard to even say. Season four, five, six, and seven are all yeah. home runs. That's the sweet spot for sure. But there's obviously five-star episodes in basically every season. Sure. But yeah, those yep. seasons, top to bottom, are just unmatched. Okay, so we'll return to Seinfeld at some point in the future. As I said, we'll return to regular episodes next week, back on schedule. We're approaching the big 250, which is insane. Cannot believe it. So thanks for all the support. Thanks for listening. Otherwise, we'd probably still be doing this podcast, but it would be real dark and real sad by this point. Not that it's not. It's less, though. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) We have some listener requests coming up soon. If you have one yourself or if you'd like a sticker, let us know on Twitter, at GreatestPod. Yeah, and leave us a review. It's the uh, holiday season. We could use a, a friendly gift. Not a negative one, please. Yeah, ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed. Check us out on Podbean or wherever if maybe, you'd like. Maybe listen to the Carrie episode and then leave your review. Not necessarily after you listen <laughs> to this Is Carrie the new original Halloween 3? I, I, it's, just, it's our most recent favorite. For some reason, but it is good. Okay. I think with good reason. Yeah. Well, some reason could be good reason. That's true. If you are on Letterboxd, you can find us on there, Zach1983, Matt Crosby. We've recently made returns to the theater. We're seeing new movies, so our Letterboxd is heating up. At an insane rate. I mean, it could be as many as three in a week. Wow. After none for so long for us, just getting back out there. That's right. (laughs) Reinserting ourselves into society. I think that'll do it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.
Okay, I, I, I don't want to go over there and do it and then come back here and find out there was some little loophole like I didn't put mustard on it. <laughs> no, no tricks. Should I do it, George? For 50 bucks? I'll put my face in this soup and blow it. <laughs>